We've been on a journey as of late, correct? I don't know if you remember what journey, the Kingdom Project journey, if you remember back from, from the fall. And actually the last couple of years we've been talking a lot about this idea of, of the, uh, the presence of the Spirit is as close as the air that we breathe. You've, probably, you've heard me say that so many times, right? The, the word ruach in Hebrew means breath and spirit at the same time. They're literally the exact same word. So breath and spirit, same word. Pneuma in the Greek, New Testament, spirit, breath, exact same thing. So we know that God is always around us. The spirit's always surrounding us. And, and the question becomes, can we see it? Can we feel it? And we even talked last week about, can we feel it in this messiness that kind of happens around us? But how do we practice being aware of the spirit in everyday life? Like how do we practice going from this place once a week into now our regular lives as we go this afternoon and the next day? Not just in theory, not just in like theology as, you know, I think a lot of times we do a really good job as pastors of saying, you need to pray, you need to read the Bible, you need to have spiritual practices, you need to think about God, you need to, I mean, we're good at pastors at telling you what needs to happen and sometimes maybe not quite as good at how can we do it. And so we're going to start doing that together here um, in our gatherings, but also when we move from this place out into our regular lives, so... We're going to explore, we're going to go on a journey as a local church that we're going to call the Liturgy of the Ordinary. If you want to flip that next screen on, you'll see what I'm talking about. Or Andrew and I used to call this the peanut butter and jelly book. We read this uh, book together about three or four years ago. And um, we're going to base this series on this Liturgy of the Ordinary and kind of move from, from there. And you're going to kind of see what I'm talking about. Now, this might feel like the longest sermon intro ever, but I think this whole sermon is going to be like a whole bunch of intros, so just kind of get used to it for the morning. Um, There's something that we really need to define before we can even get into a series like this. Before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of our everyday life, we have to define one kind of church word that's popped up here on the screen, and that's that word liturgy. Um, when I told Anna we were going to do a series on liturgy, she's like, oh my gosh, that sounds like the most boring thing in the history of the universe. I'm very she's very honest with me. She's very, Anna's very blunt and very honest with me. Um, but liturgy is not something that should scare you, but rather something that should excite you. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've already been, you've been experiencing liturgy for like 20, 30 years. I mean, for as long as this church has been around. It's, it's, had a, it's had a liturgy. Every church actually has a liturgy, but we'll get to that in, in, in a minute. But I'm actually curious. Like, what are some of the things that pop into your mind the, the second you hear the word liturgy? Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. Yep. Anyone else? Old, this is really weird that where I'm asking you a question in a sermon, but I, that's why I'm doing this. Thing. The old days chanting. The old days chanting, that kind of stuff for liturgy. Yeah. Reading the Bible. Anything else with liturgy? Um, I think that a lot of times if I were to think of liturgy and I was going to take myself out of this pastoral context, I'd think like the Catholic Church, right? You know, all the rites and the rituals that they go through. Or even our own Lutheran heritage that, you know, is very liturgical in, 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 in that sense. Um, the word liturgy in Greek, uh, liturgia, literally means like the work of the people like service or work. That's why we get liturgy and worship service or the work of the people. So basically what we do when we gather, our work together as a church is liturgy. That's what we do. It's our rituals are the things that we do when we gather. So in our church, for instance, here at Regen, we start with invocation, right? You know, uh, oh Lord, open my lips. We say that one a lot. With comes into a call to worship and a prayer. We sing, we read scripture. 
We sing some more. We confess in the general sense. We're assured that Jesus forgives us, right? You know, you're forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sing again. We profess our unity as churches. We receive our offering. We explore together in a sermon like this time. We pray. We ready our hearts for the Eucharist with some more liturgy. We sing again. We do a lot of singing. We commune together. We sing again. The doxology at the end. And then we send each other off with that blessing that we say at the end of every um, service. And so in this sense, every single church that you ever go to has a liturgy. There really is no such thing as being more liturgical or not. It just depends on what you're actually inserting into that liturgy. What are the practices that you're going through? Every church tells the larger story with what they do and the space they have of who they are and why they exist. And my prayer every week as I create these liturgies and, and borrow things from different traditions and even our own hymn books is every week I hope that the liturgies and these rituals that are created can help to form the rest of our lives, like help form what we do when we leave this place this morning. And so take, for instance, go back to our sermon slide, making the bed. If you want to get a million opinions on something that has really nothing to do with life, ask people about their bed-making liturgies or rituals. People get really fired up when you talk about making the bed. So, okay, you're going to fit into one of these three categories, I guarantee you. Some insist that you have to make your bed in the morning. Is that you? There's that few people that make their bed in the morning? Wow. Oh, okay. I mean, I would fi- figured that that was like the most common, but what? I mean, who's making you make your bed? Okay, yes, if you're a kid, does your mom make you put you make your bed? We don't, actually. Um, so, okay, there's one category. People who claim that if you make your bed in the morning, you're going to have a way better day. There was even a big, famous, like, speech at a commencement once about some military guy saying, that's the best way to start your day, right? So there is the bed-making people, okay? Then some insist on never making the bed because what's the point you're going to get into an anyways? Right? Is that you? A lot of people like that, right? Right? You're going to get into it anyways. So why, why, why not? Why, why make it? What's the point? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This really surprised me that this is actually the most popular. When they did polls out there, this was the most popular uh, option for making your bed. Making it right before you get in. I found out that's the most popular one. Yes. I found out in a poll this week that that's the most popular one. You know, this is weird. Looking at everybody's eyes, raising their hands. <laughs> That's what we do. We, I make Anna actually help me make the bed right before we get in. All right, we're weird. You know, the point is, the point is, the point is, we all have our rhythms, right? We all have our liturgies, our rituals. And these things chart a course for what we do. So I want you to start thinking of the word liturgy, just even what you do. Making the bed, brushing your teeth, getting in the car, going to your job. These are all liturgies that we go through every single week, every single day, actually. We have our own liturgies. And by the way, I could not care less who actually makes their beds in the morning. Like I, <laughs> the whole point of this sermon is not to try to get you to make your bed in the morning. I, don't, I really don't care. Um, what? <laughs> Maybe this wasn't this good of a thing. <laughs> but we are going to explore, rather, the beginning of our day. So what this series is going to do is this series is going to take us from waking up in the morning 
till when we close our eyes at bed. And it's going to take us through different things that we do each day. And how can we connect that with what we do here on Sunday and start to see the spirit and be aware of the spirit in our actual lives. Um, so what does the very beginning of your day look like? Um, like think to yourself, let's not speak these out loud. This would take too long. Um, but think to yourself, how does the beginning of your day start? What are the first things you do when you start off? And I'm going to read to you just a uh, paragraph from, uh, so Pastor Tish Warren is the one who wrote this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And I'm just going to read to you um, how she began her morning routine. She goes, my typical morning routine was that shortly after waking, I'd grab for my smartphone on the uh, coffee table. And just like digital caffeine, it would prod my foggy brain into coherence and activity. Before getting out of bed, I'd check my email, scroll through the news, and I'd glance at Facebook or Twitter. Um, okay, so basically what she did was, she woke up every morning and her liturgy was to grab her phone. That was her liturgy. That was the thing that she did. That was her uh, ritual. Um, so basically, what she did was one year during Lent, this is kind of how this book starts. She said she put her phone in a different room and made the bed. I'm not saying we have to make the bed, but she decided to make the bed. And she sat on that made bed. And first just in silence for a couple minutes. And then it kind of evolved into some quiet time with God and, and some prayer. So she goes on. She goes uh, and says, um, do, do, do. what page is that one on? 27. Uh-oh. All right. So I'm just going to tell you that she, oh, here it is. My new London routine um, didn't make me wildly successful or cheerfully buoyant as some had promised, but I began to notice very subtly that my day was imprinted differently. The first activity of my day, the first move I made was not that of a consumer, but that of a co-laborer with God. Instead of going to a device for my morning fix of instant entertainment, I touched the tangible softness of our sheets, uh, felt the hard word underneath my feet, and in my small chaos, I started to make some order. So um, this is basically what she did. And why was she able to, um, why was she able to make this small order in her life, as she put it? Like, why was she able to shift from grabbing that smartphone and getting the entertainment to now doing something different? And it's because our days, and therefore most of our lives, are driven by what we've been talking about, habit and, habit and routine. Um, it's actually brain science. I have a whole brain science liturgy thing that I could talk to you guys about. We're not going to do that today, though. Um, but we're all driven by habit and routine. And in actuality, there is nothing we do that's really neutral. There's actually nothing that we choose, nothing we choose to do in life that's actually neutral just like this space that we're kind of in this morning. Um, another author, James Smith, James K.A. Smith, he wrote a book called You Are What You Love, which basically is kind of like this book, only a little bit deeper, a little more academic. Um, and he says that our view of the good life, like what we think we need for life to be good, is ingrained in us through repetitive practices. He says these repetitive practices, the things that we do every single day, motivate how we live, and then it motivates what we end up loving. That's why he, the title is You Are What You Love. And think about it. We really are shaped every day, whether we know it or not, by practices, by rituals, liturgies that make up who we are. And so we can get some of these liturgies from the church, right? That's what, that's what we're kind of hoping to, you know, kind of uh, join up here together. But we also get a lot of liturgy from the culture that's around us. 
um, we've been exploring uh, this, this, as a church, I said, this alternative community in Christ, right? What does it mean to live in this kingdom that Jesus brought? What does it mean to live in this kingdom project within the larger community, right? That our lives are together. But it's hard to even describe. Honestly, it's really hard to get up here every week and try to help you learn how to live in the kingdom project. It's something that doesn't really come all that natural for us because I think it's more natural for us to kind of get into whatever is kind of surrounding us at the moment. But let alone how do we become these sort of alternative people? Because we may deeply believe in the gospel. We might really truly believe in this gospel of Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Jesus. We may deeply believe in this story. We may put our hope in eternal resurrection. But often I feel like a lot of times our days, we feel like they just look the same as every single else that lives out there. Like life just kind of looks the same and kind of starts to feel the same every single day. And so there's two ways. And I think this is kind of frustrating, isn't it? Is it frustrating for you to like know that, like I know this whole story, but I sometimes don't know how to actually live in it. Um, there's two ways that I think the church or Christians have gone about it over, over the years. And, and I'm going to kind of show you the third way. So the first way is that we can just put back, push back against culture by just believing the right things. We've talked about this so much here, right? That it can't just only be believing the right things, that we have to let those things transform our hearts so that our hearts can transform our hands and our feet. Um, beliefs are important. They perhaps might even be the first step in actually you know, changing habits and routines. But as humans, we're not really motivated by our conscious thoughts. Have you realized that yet? Like even think about, and I'm not trying to insult you when I say this, I promise. I really promise because I do it too. But even think about things like the election coming up on Tuesday or the national election that will come up in November. How many of us tend to vote based on our feelings rather than actually our conscious and where the different issues that we have? I'm sure we do, and I'm sure we do our research. I really hope we do. But I do think a lot of it is we do get caught up in our feelings on this. And so most people seem to make decisions based on feelings. And you know what? Trust me, politicians know this, by the way. They all know this. They all know and they all play on your emotions. Um, but think about it. We're not usually thinking about our theology or our worldviews in politics while we're brushing our teeth or while we're grocery shopping or while we're driving around town because what actually shapes us comes from below the brain and it's in this thing that we call our gut, right? That kind of seems to be what really shapes us in the end of the day is these gut feelings that we have about things in what we love. So the first one, it can't be all about just believing the right things, right? Well, the second thing that a lot of Christians have done over the years is that they believe to be in an alternative community, and this is not a bad thing either. This does work for some people. But it means a radical rejection of the world we live in, like radically rejecting everyday life and separating ourselves completely from the culture. Think like monastic societies or, or, or intentional groupings. Again, these are great things. These are things that you can go, I think, for a season of time and really find uh, your soul and, and your spirit in this whole God thing. Um, but then a lot of times we tend to do it by this thing that I would call like the purity culture. Like we tend to say, we, 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 we withdraw and reject certain kind of arts and music and media and we don't want to touch those things and we only want to do the things that are safe and we want to just surround ourselves in this little Christian bubble that we've made. Or also in this kind of number two one can be pursuing professional full-time vocation, right? That the only way I can live as an alternative, you know, part of Jesus' kingdom is to become a pastor or a priest or a missionary overseas. 
And that's good for those people. That's good for people like me who have felt called to do this and are doing this as a full-time vocation. But what about every single other person that's not pursuing full-time vocation with jobs that seem to have nothing to do with this? Because that's real life for the majority of people who follow Jesus. So there's got to be a third way. There's got to be a third way to be in our communities, in our typical jobs, in our typical lives that we live, but yet also be consciously living as an alternative community, which is why we're going to go through this, what we're calling the liturgy of the ordinary. Um, These rituals that we can hopefully just be more aware of. So really what we're going to do during this series is just try to be aware of the things we do. Then we can take up practices. We can start to see these habits that can aim our love and our desire towards God, the one who we say we are coming here to gather around. Our liturgies on Sunday morning, the stuff that we do here together, is an attempt to teach us our particular idea of what it means to have that, what James Smith called the good life, right? That, that, that what does it mean to have the good life? And then we're sent into our week as people who bear that vision that's created and sustained here. We've talked about this a number of times, right? That this, what we do this morning, is not the main show of our lives with Jesus, right? This is just one hour a week, or maybe a little longer sometimes. But what we do here is not the main show, but rather it's when we leave here. When we step outside those two doors and we go into every other thing we do, that is really the main show, of our life with Jesus, into all the things that we think are typical or mundane, the somewhat boring aspects of our life. Think about what we do so often, especially now. This sermon wouldn't even have preached 20 years ago because what do we do now when we're in the waiting room and we're bored? Instantly grab the phone. What do we do for waiting at our kid's school for something? Instantly on the phone. Uh, there's so many things that we do that we just sit there and we're on our phones. It was funny when I was looking into some of the, you know, security stuff, because our council was, we, you know, Mark had mentioned we're doing the security stuff. One of the biggest things they said in this video that I watched, um, not one of the biggest things, it was just something that my mind kind of caught, was they, they started laughing and they said we'd be so much safer as, like, communities if we just got off of our phones. Because we're so buried in them that we can't even see the things that are going around, uh, around us to even keep us safe sometimes. But think about what it's doing to our brains. And this is not an anti-phone sermon either. I mean, we have them. They're tools that we can use. But, but how can we use them in our liturgies, our rituals, and what is actually forming us in our lives? You see, Pastor Tish, by reaching for her phone every morning, was developing a ritual, a liturgy that impacted the rest of her day. Um, she was imprinting herself. Have you ever heard of imprinting with animals before? You, you probably do, Kim. Um, but basically, if, 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 if an animal that's normally in the wild is taken in by a human, they'll, they'll imprint that that human now is their mother, I believe. Something like that, right? Like it's the caretaker person for them. And so basically from there on out, they... I'm not calling on you for animal questions anymore. Um, I'm, tr- I'm just trying to think of what I know from this. So I'm pretty sure that an animal gets brought into a house and... It gets imprinted now that that person is their, their caretaker and they can't even survive in the wild anymore. So this is what Trish was doing, or Tish. Pastor Tish was doing this. She was imprinting her brain in the first 15 minutes of her day by thinking her, making her brain think it needed nonstop, constant entertainment every single second of the day. And the last thing I want to read from, from her book, 
um, this is the last thing that she said. She says, examining my daily liturgy as a liturgy, as something that both revealed and shaped what I love and worship, allowed me to realize that my daily practices were malforming me. They were making me less alive, less human, less able to give and receive love through my day. And so changing this simple ritual allowed me to form a new repetitive and contemplative habit that pointed me toward a different way of being in the world. That is what we're going to be doing over these next eight, nine, ten weeks or so. We're going to look at these rituals and we're going to start together on an average day. Start with waking in the morning, making the bed and going to sleep at night. And we're going to look at these common things, these overlooked practices and rituals that are so entwined with our actual gatherings here. If you notice with, with, with what Pastor Tish is talking about, her opening worship in the morning was her phone. Our worship that we start here is, Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your place. Or, Oh Lord, my, my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Maybe even just simply simple like that. Every morning, Oh Lord, let me rise with you as the day rises with the sun. We're going to see that some of our rituals and habits, like the phone, may need to be changed to create new ones. But we might also see that some of these uh, can remain. They're actually very healthy rhythms in our life, but we just need to be aware of what they're doing to us and aware of what we're, what we're doing to us towards our ultimate loves. Um, we want to skip the boring stuff, right? We want to skip the making the bed. We want to skip being bored in the waiting room or picking up the kids. We want to grab that instant entertainment on the phone. But it's really this daily stuff. It's this daily life stuff of faith. Making the bed, doing the dishes, reading the Bible, the quiet, the small. That can allow God's transformation to take root and to grow. I think this is going to be really fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to walk through our days and see how that kind of meets up. So I'd like to encourage you to do a couple different things here. Um, one, uh, there's a lot more in this book than I'm preaching on. Um, this 25 minutes that we've been talking so far here is just the tip of the iceberg that she's talked about from uh, the, the forward in the book to chapter one that I skipped, and I'm going to tell you why in a second, to chapter two, which we're in right now. Um, the reason why I skipped chapter one is because that was just realizing that you are baptized and a beloved um, child of God. We just did that with Jesus' baptism like three weeks ago. <laughs> Preached that exact same sermon from basically chapter one of this book if you had looked at it. Um, so we, I went right to chapter two with making the bed. But I'd encourage you to grab a copy of this book and, and, and to dig in deeper. Um, I'll put it in the e-bulletin this week, the uh, e-newsletter. I'll put it, uh, a copy of the link just on Amazon if you want to order it yourself. Um, if you do struggle and you don't think you can afford to do it, I'll, I'll buy it for you. The church will buy it for you. We'll find a way if you really, really are interested in reading this. Um, so I encourage you to grab a copy of this to dig in with us. And together we're going to learn how to listen and how to love just in the mundane, the ordinary spaces of life. We even sang that song last week, right? Open up our eyes to see you in the ordinary. We don't want to miss you anymore. That's what we're doing. We're going to pay attention to all that Jesus' spirit is doing around. All right, last thing. Haven't hit my 30-minute mark yet. No, I'm just kidding. I actually don't time my sermons. I really have no clue how long they're going to be until I'm up here. It's just whatever has to be said, and then it goes out. Um, I'm going to ask uh, maybe Stephen, Asher, start passing some of these around, Maggie. I mean, Emery. You guys look a little like today. Um, maybe you guys can pass those around. Um, each and every week, um, we're going to start. Um, I'm going to give you, these are actually at the end of the, the book. These are some uh, practices that Tish herself, Pastor Tish Gibbs, 
And these practices can be something that can maybe help us while we're not here together. We're not here every second of every day, and nor can we. When Paul says to be constantly praying or that his whole life was constantly in prayer, he's not talking about getting on your knees. I think what Paul is talking about in, in, in his epistle is rather what we're talking about here is noticing and being aware of the Spirit every second of the day, not necessarily on our knees in prayer and, and, and that kind of stuff. I want to start to move and have a mind shift. Now, there's an old youth group thing that's been going around for years and years and years and years and years. And I've heard it plenty of times in my life where it's like, you know, kids, you need to find your 15 minutes of quiet time. You need to read your Bible, do a devotion and pray. And that's fantastic. If that works for you, that's fine. But that never worked for me. I hate working out in the morning. I hate doing anything like this in the morning. It just didn't work for me. So my encouragement to you is find what works for you. Find what taps your heart into this whole spirit thing. Don't do something just because someone told you to do it. Find what works for you because you're the only one that knows how this is going to work in your daily life. Maybe it does work to have 15 minutes of quiet time. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it has to look different for you. All right, so there's a couple suggestions that she says for this week after we read, after we just preached on this uh, chapter of making the bed. She says, number one, just write down a repetitive daily task in your life. Just one. And then as you perform this task, prayerfully ask God to show you the way it shapes you. So take, for instance, if you brush your teeth every morning, which I really, really hope most of you do. Okay, I hope you brush your teeth in the morning. But as you're brushing your teeth in the morning, maybe that's a ritual you can think. Maybe look in that mirror and that's going to be something that's going to trigger you and go, oh, this is back to a pastor Chris talked about brushing my teeth. Maybe that's your ritual. And she says, journal about it or discuss it with a friend or a family member. You know, again, we're not going to all like to journal. I love to journal. You might not. Maybe you like to have conversations with people instead. That's, that's totally cool. Number two. Try and notice this week how you can resist or how you do resist stillness and boredom. This was that phone thing I was talking about. Carve out a few minutes of silence or stillness each day and simply invite God into that time. Don't have to find some fancy devotion. You don't even have to read scripture if that's something that you just, for some reason, are intimidated by. If you are intimidated by scripture, come talk to me. I'll I'll help you get into it. Start with the book of John. Start with the book of John, actually. I'll just say that right up. Me and Andrew both agree with this. If you ask Andrew, just start with the book of John. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. But just carve out a few minutes of silence. Just can be still. Just be still. Invite God into that time and see what happens. Number three, notice the small moments of stillness in a day. Perhaps waiting at a traffic light or for the coffee to brew. And embrace the moment for what it is. Letting the moment remain empty and quiet. Number four, which may be actually the hardest for us, to be honest with you. Put your phone away for an extended period of time. For a morning, an afternoon, or God forbid, even a day. And reflect on that experience. Journal about it or discuss with a friend or a family member. Um, If you have an iPhone, there's actually a really great tool that we've been using a lot called... uh, was it screen time? I think it just says screen time. You can see every single thing that you do, how many times you pick it up, what you're going to first and all those kind of things. We've been experimenting a lot this week, a lot in light of kind of the stuff we're talking about this morning. And it is like, first of all, it's addictive to try to get it down because <laughs> you want to see that number go down. But then even on top of that, it's been, we've actually had, 
I think some better family quality moments this week at night because we're well-being. Okay, so screen time makes a lot more sense. But okay, so go to Google's awesome version of well-being. That'll be the same thing. But no, I've just noticed there's been so much. It's, just, it's not this huge change, but there's been little moments of like, maybe we're not just waiting the 10 minutes to go make dinner, but we're doing something instead. It's been, it's just been a little different. That's all. Um, so I just encourage you, you know, maybe then journal about that or discuss with a friend or a family member. Um, as we walk along this journey, if you want to interact with me on it, awesome. Uh, write me a Facebook note or if you have my number, call me, text me. This is fun. I think this is fun. I, I love this community. I love being in this community. I love being able to be wrapped around. We're not changing this setup. I don't see anything that's wrong with this. So, It is funny, though. You spend the whole week doing this and setting up for it, and you just don't know quite how it's going to happen. And I, I, I thought it was great. So, um, Yeah, I'd just like to encourage you to, to, to be present for these on Sunday mornings and, and let us as the church help the liturgies of your regular day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, we bring all of our life before you this morning. We bring all of our soul and our love and our guts and our brains and our hands and our feet into your presence. Especially as we humbly approach your table, the table that you invite us to come just as we are. towards another spiritual practice of tasting. And we talked about this last week, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take my body and my blood. Take the cup and the bread. God, as we commune together as a family this morning, allow us, allow us to become closer to you, closer to each other. So that as we leave this place, we'd continue to grow closer to you and to one another as we just walk in the normal, typical, mundane aspects of our life. God, we pray all these things in your name who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.